You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. The book of Ephesians, what we've done as we've gone verse by verse is we've realized that the first three chapters really talk about who we are in Christ and our inheritance. In fact, that phrase, in Christ, is used around 39 times in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Well, chapters 4 through 6 takes what we learned in the first three chapters and tells us how we're supposed to apply it. As I said, we just kind of closed this section in chapter 5 that talked about the three different ways we're supposed to walk, and we're entering into the end of chapter 5 that starts to really deal with three specific people groups. We're going to see over the next several weeks that wives are singled out and told how to how to conduct themselves inside of marriage. Husbands are talked about. Parents are talked about. Children are talked about. Employees are talked about. Employers are talked about. So it gets real specific in these next several weeks. Today, though, is about wives. And today and next week is really going to be about marriage in general as we talk about a husband and a wife and how they conduct themselves. You know, it's been said before that Marriage is a walk in the park, Jurassic Park. Y'all know what I mean? I heard somebody say once, when a newly married man looks happy, we know why, but when a man that's been married 10 years is happy, we wonder why. Y'all know what I mean? And that's really our culture's view on marriage and the world's view on marriage, and you're going to see today that it was the same when these words in Ephesians were written. Last couple of weeks, I've had a little bit too much time on my hands. I didn't preach last weekend and nothing going on at the church and you guys are all busy. So I was scrolling Instagram a little too much and I found some videos that really summarize, I believe, how many people feel about marriage. And the first one is probably the best descriptor of how many people think wives should act in a marriage or do act in a marriage. So if you guys could put the first one up, here's the one that I think the world... This is Everybody awake? Say amen. Now I got some other funny ones. Hit this next one. These are just a few that I found. Any of the husbands relate? I can. I may have some more of these next week too, but show this next one. Show this next one. Here's the next one. Any of the other husbands do that? Mimic your wife during an argument just to see how mad she can get? So be careful with that one. Don't be going like that. Maybe the wives in here can relate to this next video. When you're gone from the house, this is your husband. Go to the next one. Just doesn't know where anything is. Where's my deodorant? You're not here. I don't know where anything is. And then probably for Crossville, I believe this last one's the best one. So at the top it says uh, what they think, what uh, young lovebirds think marriage is going to be like. And this is a picture of what marriage is as this couple tries to go to church. Watch this. Oh, now I'm going to have to go make one tonight. We're going to be late for church. Well, I'm all right. Just in case she's wondering. I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> now, those are funny because in a lot of ways they're true, but you get the sense that in our culture and in the world, there's this idea that marriage isn't that joyful. It's game over. We all live in a Western culture where right now divorce rates are on the rise like never before, and we're not hating on divorce people today. That's another sermon for another time to talk about divorce and get into the nitty-gritty of that and or talk about how God can redeem marriages and different things like that. We're just here today really giving applicational scripture here. We live in a culture where, again, not hating on single mothers, but single motherhood seems to be the norm. We live in a culture where cohabitation and being sexually active before you're married is the norm. 
we live in a culture where we have this term, and again, not hating on divorced people by any stretch of the imagination, but many of the people, maybe the majority of the people that you know, uh, coexist in what we call a mixed family, a blended family, because maybe both of them have been married before and they've got kids from different marriages and different things like that. We live in a culture where our government about 10 years ago completely redefined what marriage was into a completely unbiblical definition of what marriage was. And as a result of all this, there's so much confusion about what marriage is supposed to be, not just in the world, but even in the church, even as Christians, there's so much confusion. I like what one commentator said about marriage. He said, marriage conducted by Christians in God's way is a glorious demonstration in the heavenly realms of the triumph of His plan to gather all things under Christ. If I could rephrase that, what I would say is, for the Christians, marriage should not be a battleground. It should be a field of victory. So many times when you hear marriage sermon series and different things like that, it's presented more as this thing that you've just got to tough out and you've got to get through. And I understand that there are those moments, and we're going to talk about that today. But really, marriage is supposed to be one of, if not the most sanctifying relationship you have in your life. You should get so much joy out of your marriage that it is an example to others to follow Jesus and to do things God's way. Today, we're going to look at Ephesians 5. We're going to read verses 21 through 24, and we're going to talk a little bit about submission and uh, talk about why every one of us struggles so much with that word submission. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Here's our scripture for today. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, some people would pull this particular verse that we start out with out of context and say, well, husbands are supposed to submit to wives, and wives are supposed to submit, supposed to, submit to husbands. Well, this is why we preach through books of the Bible, because we want you to get the full context. As I've told you, you're going to see several different relationships mentioned here, and certain people are supposed to submit to other people. So submitting to everyone is not possible because someone has to be the leader, someone has to make the decision, and someone has to submit. So when it says this in this verse, most likely what it means is in the next several relationships Paul is going to point out, the person that's supposed to submit is being encouraged to actually submit. We see the first relationship and the first person talked about in verse 22 when it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. You've heard me explain this before and talk about this before, but I would submit to you this weekend that women owe their liberation or I guess their personal freedom if to anything else they owe it to Scripture or to the person of Jesus. At the time that the Scripture we just read was written, women were excluded from Roman citizenship. Women were considered to be on a lower level than a slave or a criminal or a child. Men could choose to sell their wives into slavery. There were many circumstances where men could even decide to have their wife executed. Women were not included in things like the census. Remember Mary and Joseph had to go take a census? Well, Many times they didn't even include the women. In fact, we see this actually in Scripture. Like, for instance, when Jesus fed the 5,000 with the loaves and the fish, most scholars agree that that number, 5,000, just is 5,000 men and that the women and children aren't even included in that count because at the time, women were not included in those kinds of counts. Women were so looked down on that in the culture at the time, they weren't even given a name that would describe them, an individualized name. Usually if a family had a daughter, the first daughter would be given the feminized form of the D 
dad's name. The second daughter would be named Secunda, which guess what that means? Second. The third daughter would be named Tertia, which guess what that means? Third, and so on and so on. Daughters were used to barter. And during this time, marriage was more contractual in these days, and love was not even considered. One Roman writer said this, and consider this in the context of the videos we just saw and the way our culture portrays marriage, because the enemy has no new lies. Uh, It's really been this way in the world since marriage was instituted. This was their view. One Roman writer said marriage brings only two happy days, the day a husband clasps his wife to his breast and the day he lays her in the tomb. Even in the Hebrew culture, the Jewish males had sayings like this, thank you God that you didn't make me a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Again, equating womanhood to being a slave or to being a pagan. In the Hebrew culture, most believed that the husband had the right to divorce his wife for any reason. He just needed to produce two witnesses. In the Hebrew culture, really, women had no rights at all. This is why when you understand the scripture that we just read, you understand that the Bible is groundbreaking. Because what we're going to read over these next few weeks and get into and study today and the next several weeks is it shows the equality and dignity of every single person in a household, including the women and the wife. Over these next several weeks, we'll talk about three different types types of relationships where someone is supposed to submit. We're talking today, of course, about a wife submitting to a husband. Later, we'll see children that are supposed to submit to parents. And later, we'll talk about how slaves are supposed to submit to masters. And we're going to talk about slavery and what it was back then and how we can apply it. So make sure you don't miss that one. You'll learn a lot. In each relationship, the person that is called to submit is addressed and the person that's in authority over that person is then addressed. Each time, each person is given an instruction of how you're supposed to conduct yourself in the relationship, the person that's supposed to submit and the person that is in leadership over that person, along with the why or the motivation for why you would want to conduct yourselves that way and your motivation in Christ, for lack of a better way of putting it. What we're going to find as we go through these, and we started off today, is everyone is accountable for their own actions. Everyone has free will to either do things the way the Bible says to do them and please Christ, or refuse to do them that way, and not please Christ. Everyone is responsible, in other words, for their own behavior. The tension of this verse clearly is this idea that you may think is old school. You may think that, man, we're preaching some old stuff here. This isn't a real hip theological position. Maybe you think this uh, plays into a patriarchal, I don't even know if that's a word, but I just made it up. So a patriarchal type relationships in society. Everybody say patriarchal with me. One, two, three. Patriarchal. I'll explain what that is here in just a minute. But it is in fact biblical. And it is wives should submit to their husband. If you're a wife, you should submit to your husband. Now today, listen to me. I understand there are married couples here today. There's people with all different kinds of backgrounds. There's teenagers in here today. So what I'm going to teach you today will absolutely apply to you, and there's going to be a lot of bleed over also into how husbands should conduct themselves, obviously. But maybe you're here and you're not married, but you hope to be married one day. You hope to find a guy that loves Jesus uh, that you can marry one day, and this will absolutely help you. When I say the phrase, wives, submit to your husband, the problem and the tension is with the word submission. Submission. This word means This in the Greek is a military term that means to place oneself under someone's authority. But what's interesting about this word, and you've got to understand how this word is used when it comes to wives submitting to husbands. Otherwise, 
you will come up with all sorts of bad theology. And some of you guys grew up in dead religion that taught all kinds of oppressive things towards women because they didn't understand the context of this. This is written in what we call middle voice. Middle voice means that it's not something that the wife is forced to do, but out of their free will, they willingly submit themselves to their husband. If I could explain it by talking about the deference of two different words that are used for two different people groups that we're actually going to get to in the next few weeks, listen to Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, that reiterates this idea that wives should submit to their husbands. It says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Many people equate the word submit to the word obey, and they think that those are interchangeable, but they could not be more different. Submission means that you have a shared opinion, but you willingly trust the headship of your husband. In other words, it means it's not enforced by oppression of the husband, if that makes sense. But when it says obey, and it's speaking directly to children, obey means you don't have a shared opinion at all, and it doesn't matter what you think. In other words, what it means is for a wife and a husband, they both get a vote and they get to share their opinions. But when it comes to raising your kids, kids, we don't care what you say. Sit down and do what we tell you to do. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. That's the idea here. Is it hot in here, y'all, or is it just me? Okay, can you guys please tell someone to turn the heat off? We, we're, we've been working with the uh, air and stuff, y'all. Like last week it went out and it was like 50 degrees in here, and this week we turned it on and it was like a billion degrees in here, but it is burning up. I'm roasting in my awesome sweater vest, okay, y'all? So don't laugh at my sweater vest, people. Somebody tried to tell me, man, those are hip, man. You don't look old in that sweater vest, Josh. You... And then my dad, who's 72, called me one day and said, man, I really like the way you've been dressing, son. You're looking good. And I'm like, all right, I'm an old man now. It's all right. Getting back to submission, though, is they turned the heat off, okay? Here's how it works in my marriage, if I could use my marriage as an example. My wife and I have been married almost 24 years. And every single time we have to make a decision, I get a vote, Brooke gets a vote. But anytime there is a tie, Brooke has been so gracious and so good to allow me to be the tiebreaker. And she's followed me. Now, that does not mean that I've always made the right decision. I've made some very bad decisions. And there may have been a time or two where she has reminded me that I made the wrong decision and uh, made a mistake. But this is how it works. Listen to the message version of these verses in the book of Ephesians. In the message version, and if you ever study the Bible, in the translation you're reading, you can't really understand it. It's a little bit too Game of Thrones-ish kind of language. I would encourage you to go to the message version, which is a paraphrase, and usually will help clarify that. You guys got to get that heat off, okay? Please text somebody because I'm roasting up here. We're gonna be, I'm going to pass out up here, and then the video will go viral. So make sure you take a video. Our church will be famous, okay, y'all? Because I can hear it blowing right now. I'm sweating. It says this in the message version, verse 21. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husband in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. I love that. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership... Wives should likewise submit to their husbands. I love the way it puts it in the message. Let me give you a side note and make sure nobody in here goes from A to Z on me as it pertains to the word submission. Submission is always conditional upon obedience to God. Ladies in here, listen to me. Submission is always conditional upon obedience to God. What does it say? It says, 
submit to him to your husband as you do to the Lord. So do not submit to your husband if he asks you to disown, disobey God, or to do something immoral or illegal. In fact, that could be grounds for divorce. Different sermon for a different time, but let me read what one commentator says about this particular issue. In addition to sexual adultery, permanent abandonment or extreme cruelty is a form of unfaithfulness that destroys the fundamental relational nature of a covenant and permits divorce. So what submission is not, ladies, it's not staying with an abusive husband that beats you. It's not if he suggests that you do something sexual uh, that is not within the confines of what biblical sexuality is, that you do it blindly just to please him. That's not what it is. It is conditional upon obedience to God. Submission, or the word submit, is used some 40 times in the New Testament. It's brought up when the church is supposed to submit to Christ, the church submits to leaders, children submit to parents, and wives submit to their husband. And I say that to say the idea is none of us can fulfill the purpose in our lives without an attitude of submission. Is everybody with me? Say amen. Jesus was a great example of this. Jesus comes to this earth and he submits to his earthly parents. Jesus comes to this earth and he says things like, I only do what the Father tells me to do, submits to God the Father. There could be a case to be made that Jesus comes to this earth and he submits to all of us because he didn't come to serve, he didn't come to be served, but to serve others. He laid his life down for us. What Paul is teaching here is, this the main teaching for the wives is, the husband submits to Christ, and you see this cyclical submission. The husband submits to Christ, and then the wife submits to the husband. Now next week, we're going to go into depth on what the husband's role in all this is. So do not miss next week. Make sure we're here. But as one person says, marriage starts when a man and a woman become one, but the trouble starts when they try to figure out which one. Do you get what Paul's saying here? That's a true statement. It starts when they become one, but the trouble starts when they try to figure out which one. What Paul's saying is, you're not trying to become like the husband. You're not trying to become like the wife. You're trying to become like Jesus together. You're pursuing the one with your two and trying to be more like Jesus. And can I make a side note to all the wives in here and all the ladies in here? Is everybody with me? Say amen. If you have a man that's trying to follow Jesus, you need to thank God that you have that man. Maybe you need to lay off and quit being so hard on him. Why don't you raise your hands during worship? And why don't you pray more? And why don't we read the Bible more together? If he's trying in any way whatsoever, you need to thank God for him. Hey, we know... He's not Billy Graham, but you ain't Ruth Graham, so get over yourself. Y'all know what I'm saying? You ain't all holy either, so stop it, okay? Stop it, okay? You need to thank God. I just think that life is already hard for men, but life is infinitely harder for men that are trying to follow Jesus today. You got a man that's actually trying to be a man? Man, the whole culture that we're in, is feminized to a point that it's toxic if you're just trying to be a man. you got a man that's trying to lead his family. Well, the world is telling him, well, you're a part of the problem. You're a part of the oppressive, patriarchal, there's that word again, okay, y'all, society that holds everybody back and causes all the problems. You're a man that's trying to actually follow the Bible, and now you've just declared war on the whole world and all of its systems. you got a man that's trying to have eyes only for his wife. Ladies, do you know how hard it is for men today. In our culture, everything is designed to get our eyes off of you and on to some other female. If you got a man that said, man, I'm doing the best I can to make a covenant with my eyes to only have eyes for you, you need to thank God for him. Don't miss next week, though, because uh, if you think we're giving it to the wives today, we're going to give it to the husbands next week, okay? It'll even out, okay, y'all? Everybody with me? Say amen. The idea with the word submission, though, here's the idea. Submission fosters agreement, not struggle. Submission causes order instead of chaos. Submission is not supposed to be mindless. 
It's not that you're mindlessly following someone. You're supposed to be biblically following someone. There's a very good case to be made that in the Garden of Eden, in the original sin, Adam is completely responsible for his own sin. Okay, I'm not blaming it all on Eve. I'm just saying there's a very good case to be made that that whole process started when Eve tried to liberate herself from underneath the headship and leadership of Adam. She goes off on her own, and then here we are, living in a fallen world. Everything's a mess. Along with wife submitting, the Scripture makes clear that there is a mirror to the level of submission that a wife gives to her husband. And that mirror is how much the wife submits herself to Jesus. If I could put it to you this way, a wife's submission to her husband is on par with a wife's reverence for Jesus. What do you say? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. A wife's submission to her husband is on par with a wife's fear of the Lord. These are some different ways that different translations put it. In the negative, what I'm saying is, and what the Scripture is saying here is, if a wife is not submitted to Jesus, then a wife will never submit to her husband. In other words, you cannot submit to Jesus and be rebellious to your husband. You cannot be sold out to Jesus and be rebellious to your husband. In this scripture, it uses the example of the church and their submission to Christ as an example for wives. And so we know that a church shows its love for Christ by submitting to Christ. And that Jesus said, if you love me, you will follow my commands. So if you show me a church truly submitting to Jesus, I'll show you a church trying to be a biblical church and trying to follow what the Bible says. We don't do worship the way we want to do it. We're trying to do it the way the Bible lays out. We don't do our governance the way... We want to do it. We're trying to do it the way the Bible lies out. We're trying to preach sermons the way the Bible lays out. We're trying to teach what the Bible says because that's how we show our love for Jesus, by submitting to that. So it uses that example, and it's no different for wives with husbands. Your relationship with Jesus is directly connected to your relationship to your husband. It leads to three natural questions. Is everybody with me? Say, I am. Number one, the question is this. Or the wives in here, and obviously this bleeds over also into the husbands as well, and everyone in here that's preparing for marriage, or maybe you're thinking you may be married one day again. Number one, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because who Jesus is in your life is going to shape what your marriage will be in your life. I love the way Richard Koken puts it in his commentary on these verses, he says this about this idea of making sure your relationship with Jesus is set in stone. Our fundamental identity and value are in being created by and for God rather than in being married or sexually active. In other words, your fulfillment first and foremost does not come from the fact that you're a wife, you're a husband, you've got a boyfriend that gives you attention, For that matter, anything else, it comes from your relationship with Jesus. So do you have a relationship with Christ? Have you allowed Christ to change you? So let me make this clear. We talk about this all the time at Rev Church. I'm not just talking about the dead religion way that many people in Crossville, Tennessee, say they got saved and say they had their relationship with Christ. I'm not just saying that you follow a cultural thing where, you know, at some point, You came up front in an altar call or raised your hand in an altar call, said a prayer, got baptized, and now you go to church, you know, one or two times a year on Christmas and Easter, and there's been absolutely no change in your life after you met Christ. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about have you allowed Jesus to change you? You cannot find one person that got saved in the Scripture where their life wasn't totally changed after. You cannot find one supporting Scripture to set that says anything along the lines of when someone gets saved, they stay the exact same. Has Jesus changed your life? 
Because here's the key. If you won't allow Jesus to change your life, you will never change for your spouse. You'll never change. You're having problems right now. You're trying to get them better. If you haven't been changed by Jesus, you're never going to change for them. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know what real love is, so you're never going to understand how you're supposed to love them. I like the way Dave Ramsey puts it. He says there's four things you have to agree on before you get married, and if you haven't agreed on these things before you got married, God can redeem your marriage, okay? And we'll get into some ways to do that over these weeks. But number one, religion. Number two, kids. Number three, money. And number four, family. I would submit to you this weekend that the most important thing you have to agree on when you're married, before you're married, whenever, is you both have to agree on what he calls religion. What I would say is your relationship with Jesus. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Leads us right into the second question, which is, do you submit to Jesus' commands? What the scripture say? Submit to your husbands as you submit to Jesus. If you love me, you will follow my commands. Everybody in here still with me? Say, I am. It's maybe a little hard. It's okay, though. We can handle hard, okay? You're tough. You got your steel toes on? Step on your neighbor's foot. No, don't do that. Listen to me. You have relationships in your life with people at your work, with people in your family, with whoever, and all you do is gossip about them, All you do is have roots of bitterness and you never forgive anybody. It's just a bunch of drama. What do you think your marriage is going to be like? You think getting married is going to fix everything? Between the crazy person you're dating right now and the cops get called once a month on you? Am I going a little too hard in the paint? Everybody all right? Have you lost your ever-loving mind? Are you following Jesus' commands? If you never forgive anybody, if you never have grace, if you never have mercy, what do you think is going to happen in your marriage? Have you allowed the world to influence you on what marriage is supposed to be? At some point, hear me, church, you've got to decide, am I going to be a Christian that follows what the Word says or am I going to follow what the world wants to do or what I want to do? I think that every single one of us have been influenced by the world in this specific area. I've heard preachers absolutely butcher this text to try to redefine what it means for a wife to submit to a husband and try to give it some new age definition that it means that ever you know there are no leaders in the household and blah 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 and I've just heard some of the worst teaching And it's all because we've been influenced by our culture when it comes to this specific area. Every one of us has been influenced by what I would call, this is just what I would call it. You can call it whatever you want, but I would call it radical feminism. Every one of us. We grew up in it. Everybody in this room, we've grown up in it in some context. We've seen it take over all kinds of things in our life. Radical feminism is something that that has attacked the idea that Paul is laying out, the biblical foundation of what family is supposed to be and the roles inside of marriage for about 70 or 80 years in America. In the late 70s and early 80s, really what radical feminists did was they gave four pillars of radical feminism and they defined it. I'm going to read them to you. Here's the four four, uh, pillars of radical feminism. And I think when they did these, they didn't dream how far we would take these in 2024, right? Listen to these. See if these sound familiar. 
First pillar is anatomy is meaningless. The second is the patriarchy exists to hold back women. Patriarchy mean, means that males are called to be leaders. Third, gender should be abolished. And fourth, a social revolution is needed to recognize the first three pillars. Let me read you some quotes from some of the founders of radical feminism. And notice how it attacks the very core of the biblical foundation of what family and marriage is supposed to be. Gloria Steinman said this back in the 80s, By the year 2000, we will, I hope, raise our children to believe in human potential, not God. These are some of the leaders and founders of this movement that have influenced every one of us. Sheila Cronin said, Since marriage constitutes slavery for women, it is clear that the women's movement must concentrate on attacking this institution. Annie Gaylor said, let's forget about the mystical Jesus and look for encouragement, solace, and inspiration from real women. Just so you can see how deep this has gone, and the idea that there is no submission that needs to take place. Women actually have more choices than men do, and they shouldn't submit to anything. Okay, Margaret Sanger, who's the founder of Planned Parenthood, in her book, The Woman Rebel, wrote this. The most merciful thing that a family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. Has this infected our culture at all, y'all? I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to be political. I'm just telling you, when it comes to the passage we're looking at today, it's influenced me, it's influenced all of us. More recently, again, not trying to be political, on the Black Lives Matter website, these are their words. This isn't my words. This is what they said. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. The Western prescribed family means you have a husband and a wife and you have children. Did you read anything about supporting the husbands in there? No. Is everybody with me? Say amen. Y'all paying attention? Say amen. I'm not trying to offend. I'm just telling you, you got to make a choice. Am I going to run my, my life in a biblical manner or am I going to do my own thing and do what I want to do? Because what's happened in our culture is in the 70s, these ideas took over the courts. In the 80s, it took over media. In the 90s, it took over education, and it still has taken over all those things today. In the 2000s and the 2010s, we've seen it take over medicine. And in the 2020s, it's taking over the church. It's taking over the church. The biblical family, what? No. United Methodists are like, we're out. We're going to follow what the world says. And now Methodist churches have to decide, are we going to do things in a biblical manner or are we going to do things the way the world says? The Episcopalians lost their mind years ago and they're dead. makes no sense. It's all spiritual. It's all spiritual because as soon as a denomination or church does that, they die. It makes no sense. But they choose to do it. Sects of the Presbyterian church, sects of the Lutheran church that do not believe in what we're teaching today, they believe in what the world says. See, what these ideas promote, hear me when I say this, because this is, this is where I think it comes together. We all have a problem. And that problem is we think we are more important than we are. And we think we're better than we are. But we're not. This is why we need the Scripture to guide us in everything we do. And the Scripture here is clear. The husband is the head of the home. Everybody just say that phrase with me. The husband is the head of the home. One, two, three. Wow, that was exciting. Y'all, pretty strong there. Thank you, yeah. You excited to say that one. Some of the husbands were looking at their wives. Can I say this? I don't know. I hope you get the point that I'm trying to make. 
Are we going to run our families based off what Scripture says? I'm not talking about oppressing women. We've given a clear definition of what submission is. Clear definition. Are you following Jesus' commands, ladies? Are you allowing other things to influence you? Are you praying? Are you reading your Bible? Are you involved in a church? You've got a community of godly women that's going to help you develop into a better wife. Leads us into our next perfectly, and this is my last one. I'm supposed to be done right now, but I'm going to go a little late. Y'all still good? Say I am. I was burning up, y'all, so we're back on track now. Amen. Thirdly, and this is an important, super applicational. Is your husband the most important person to you besides Jesus? Obviously, this applies to the husbands too, right? When it comes to your wife. Hey, you guys that want to be married one day, are you thinking about just yourself right now? Or are you thinking about down the road when you have a husband one day? Maybe it's not a good idea to sleep with a bunch of guys and have to explain that to your future husband. Maybe it's not a good idea to sleep with a bunch of girls and have to explain that to your future wife. Is your husband the most important person to you besides Jesus? All of us that are married, probably the first thing you think is, yes, but. Let's go through some talking points here. Do you have a toxic family? And in your mind, you think, he's more important to me, but your actions show something completely different. And you keep choosing your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister over your husband. I'll teach y'all something. This helped me out so much. Helped me out so much. And maybe this is the first time you hear this. If it is, this is going to release you and give you some freedom if you're married in here and you have toxic family and you're trying to balance How much time do we spend with them? Hey, we just got done with the holidays. Who do we go see? Who do we not go see? And maybe you've even got those family members that you think, we wish we didn't have to go see them at all. Let me tell you this. You'll hear people say things that are completely unbiblical. And I I get get the heart behind this. So if you've said this, I'm not saying you're sinning. I get the heart behind it. You're trying to be encouraging. But a young couple will get married, and you'll hear the husband's family look at the soon to be daughter-in-law and say, now you're becoming a part of our family. Or the wife's family will look at the husband and say, now you're becoming a part of our family. It's completely wrong. The Bible says when you get married, it takes two people that are a part of two families. And they are no longer a part of those families. They create their own family now. Listen to me. You have no moral or biblical obligation to still be involved with the family that you were previously a part of. I'm not saying to dishonor your mother and father. What I'm saying to you is, if you have toxic family, you better be careful because that poison will seep into your marriage and destroy it. Grandparents in here, let me help you. Don't put guilt trips on your kids to come visit you at Christmas because they have no moral or biblical obligation that they have to come see you at Christmas. Instead, use wisdom, and instead of being dysfunctional, be functional and create an environment where they want to come see you at Christmas. Man, when I have grandkids, I'm going to have their favorite food and my daughter's and son's favorite food. I'm going to get presents stacked up to the ceiling. I'm probably going to still buy my adult kids presents because guess what? I want them to want to come be with me at Christmas. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. But there's a difference between when they sit down before Christmas and go, oh, crud, who are we going to go see? You want to be the one's grandparents that they go, man, we can't wait to go see them because we have a blast over there. Oh, man, do we have to go see them? I really don't want to go there. Is everybody with me? Say amen. Am I stepping on too many toes, y'all? 
you have toxic family. I looked at my wife a few years into our marriage and said, hey, man, I love your family. But we got kids now, and the junk we grew up in and all the baggage we have, we can't let them grow up in it. We've got to protect them from it. We've got our own family now. We're going to set our own traditions. This family comes first now, and we're not going to be manipulated and pulled into a bunch of drama and dysfunction. Secondly, do you have toxic friends? I've done a lot of marriage counseling since we started this church, and I'll just be honest with you, by the time people get to me with their marriage counseling, um, they're usually hanging on by a thread. Like they're, they've got divorce papers on the table at home, you know what I mean? And, and it's a miracle if God redeems their marriage. But it blows my mind how they finally come to me as a latch-dish effort, but they've went to several people before me. And I'm not saying you have to come to me. I'm just saying you'll get the point of what I'm saying. And I'll ask them, you know, where, how have y'all made it this far? What have you been doing to try to make this better? And they'll say, well, we talked to our friends. I'll talk to a guy and say, Who, what friend do you talk to? Well, my buddy, he's my best friend. I'll ask him a few more questions. He's been divorced four times. He's got three baby mamas. So I figure he could give me good advice because of his experience. I mean, y'all are laughing, but this is true. Like, are you flipping crazy? Have you lost your ever-loving mind? You're going to follow a worldly person's advice? Some of y'all, your spouse feels second fiddle to some best friend you've had your whole life. And you've known them forever, and you got stories with them, and you grew up with them, but they're not good for your marriage. And maybe you don't need to cut it out, but you need to change the relationship to where your husband, your wife, is more important than they are. Does this make sense to everybody? Say amen. You have toxic parenting? Are you a toxic parent? What am I saying? Do you worship your kids? Do you say stuff like, my kids are the most important thing to me? I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with couples and they haven't spoken in 18 years because they've ran around running kids to baseball, basketball, spent all their money on the kids. The kids got to pick the vacation. The kids picked and decided whether or not they were going to come to church. The tail wagged the dog in every single area and they worshiped their kids. One or both of them did. And they sit down after 18 years, the kid goes to college, the kid moves out, kid get married or whatever, and they look at each other across a table and they say, I don't even know who you are anymore. You're supposed to be my wife, you're supposed to be my husband, we're not connected at all, I have no clue who you are, because all we've done for 18 or 20 years is worship our kids. Worshiped them. You're a toxic parent. I look at my kids regularly, and I know y'all are going to send me emails, and you're going to say, you're, you're hurting them, you're harming them. And I tell them, hey, I love you guys, but I love your mama more than y'all. She's the one I love the most. Is everybody with me? Say amen. They got to laugh in the first two services. Y'all aren't laughing too much, though. Maybe I went too long. You have a toxic career. Your career is more important than your spouse. Or maybe here's one. You got a lost husband, and that's a pretty good one. Submission makes Jesus attractive to an unbelieving husband. If you read 1 Peter chapter 3. If you have an unbelieving spouse, maybe you're here alone. He never comes to church with you. He doesn't love Jesus or he comes with you every once in a while. The way you submit to him is what's going to make Jesus, putting his trust in Jesus, more attractive to him. It's one of the highest callings you can have. Who do we evangelize to? If you've got a lost spouse, God's saying right there, that's who you evangelize to. I've got a life verse that I think totally applies to marriage. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4, is one of my favorite verses of Scripture, if not my favorite, and it says this, and this, this really summarizes marriage. It's anything in life, but it's marriage. First part of it says, where there are no oxen, the stall is clean. Does everybody understand what that means? Where there are no oxen, the stall is clean. Y'all understand what that means? Anybody in here? Y'all, y'all don't? Okay. What it means is, 
when you put an oxen in a stall like a pen, it poops everywhere. It craps everywhere, man. It's a mess. Y'all know what I mean? I mean, just poop. Everybody say poop, 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 okay? Poop everywhere, okay? And you got to clean it out. But from the strength of an ox come abundant harvests. We love the harvest, but we hate the poop. People that are married make more money. They have more joy. So many things that lead us to believe that it's a much better situation when you're in a biblical marriage. The reason Paul is teaching us about how to conduct yourself as a wife how to conduct yourself as a husband is he's trying to make sure that your poo to harvest ratios don't get out of whack. There's poo in a marriage. Is everybody with me? Say amen. But the harvest is so much greater than the poo. The harvest makes the poo worth it, y'all. The problem with some of y'all is your ratio is out of whack. All you're focused on is the poo. And you're not focused on what God could do as far as harvesting. Let's change the ratio. By changing our behavior. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Now let's get that poo cleaned out so we can focus on the harvest. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for today. Thank you for everybody's patience with me today. Uh, God, uh, I just pray for us that you be with us this week and that what we've taught today applies Maybe it hits us between the eyes, but it helps us in our everyday walk with you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You guys are dismissed. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.